Good evening. Thank you for tuning in and celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ with us here at Deer Creek Church. Uh, we're delighted to have you uh, listening along, and we hope and we pray that your celebration will be a great one this year as we close out 2020. Before we go any further, we want to pray. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that we are able to worship you this way. We are thankful that we can sing, even if it's in our living rooms together, God. Uh, we know that we can hear from you through your word and through the powerful working of your spirit. Would you teach us now as we reflect together, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you noticed the efforts that are being made by advertisers selling their products this Christmas to acknowledge the fact that Christmas this year is different? It's a COVID Christmas, but they want us to believe that it can still be joyful and it can be fun-filled. Uh, it can be a time of celebration. We just need to adjust a little bit, right? We just need to dine at home, but order out. And we need to give gifts, but leave them at the person's front door. Uh, we need to gather with family, but we need to do it on Zoom. Uh, like any of that is okay, right? Uh, there is right now a whole cottage industry cranking up and spending billions of dollars in our culture to create an idealized or sentimentalized expectation for a COVID Christmas. Uh, that it will be great, even though, uh, and the message is, don't forget to shop online and don't forget to order takeout food and don't forget to give gifts, lots of gifts to people you won't see and can't hang out with. Well, the truth is this year is really messy for most of us. Uh, there's the usual stuff that just happens in life, COVID or no COVID. You know, there can be relationship difficulties in our families or with extended friends, or there can be money problems at this time of year, and there can be marriage messes, even worst case, some marriages ending. There can be bad choices with consequences. There can be job dissatisfaction. But on top of all of those things, we have been experiencing for the last 10 months things like social distancing, things like isolation, depression. Things like business closures and stay-at-home learning and job loss. And, and then there's sports. Wow, what a joke that's been. Uh, sports with few or fake fans all together. And I love the recorded cheering. Um, it's just hilarious. And it is so, so weird. So anyway, this year is hard. It's, it's hard for us to sentimentalize Christ, Christmas, given the context that we're in. It's hard for us just to be cheery. Uh, and that perhaps actually is a gift. It's actually a good thing. Maybe this year we can step back and get a better, more realistic look at the Christmas story. Because the fact is, the real Christmas was not very sentimental at all. It turns out the most unsentimental telling of the Christmas story is actually in the Bible itself. And this rarely gets discussed, but it's true. When you read the Bible's account of Jesus' birth, all the circumstances surrounding it were quite difficult. They were very challenging. They were even painful. And that too is actually good news because Jesus didn't come to earth to give us a, a really warm, wonderful holiday. He came for people who had problems and 
who were experiencing challenges and who were in the midst of difficulties, difficulties of all kind. And he came for lost and broken people, people like you and people like me. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the second chapter, the Christmas story begins this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. And the key phrase there is during the time of King Herod. That's not just a calendar statement. It's a statement pregnant with all kinds of hidden meaning. Herod had been given by Rome the title King of the Jews. And Herod was very proud and very protective of that title. He was a very ambitious guy. And he was not going to let anyone take that title away from him. Now, racially, Herod was an Arab. Religiously, Herod was a Jew. Culturally, Herod was a Greek or a Roman. Those two cultures had largely melded by this time. Politically, Herod was always Rome's man. He always supported the powerful rulers of Rome simply because he knew that is where uh, he received his power. Now, Herod, we know, was married to either 10 or 11 wives. It's not entirely clear. And he got suspicious of the, the only wife that he actually ever loved. Her name was Miriam. And he suspected her of trying to usurp him with several of his sons. And so he had her executed and he had her mother executed and he had several of their sons executed as well. And when Herod's barber tried to stick up for his sons in a conversation they were having, Herod even had his barber executed. True story. Uh, he had all of his predecessors uh, who were in power prior to him executed. Uh, he literally taxed the poor in Israel into homelessness. That's part of why there was so much rebellion and unrest in Herod's day. He was the one who built the great temple in Jerusalem. That's Herod. And that was fantastic, except that he placed a golden eagle on the structure of the temple, which represented Rome's military power. And this was considered, of course, a pagan symbol, deeply, deeply offensive to the Jews. And so a group of Jews uh, got together, snuck in, tore down the eagle, destroyed it. Herod had all of the suspects rounded up and he had them summarily executed, burned alive. Uh, when Herod was on his deathbed, he was in such despair and such uh, physical agony. He tried to commit suicide several times, but it was actually stopped by a guard who was tending to him. Uh, there was a lot of noise and confusion around these attempts of his to commit suicide. And uh, another son of his was actually the crown prince. He was going to inherit the title of his father should his father pass away. That son came to the understanding that his father had passed away and he began to try to assume power. Well, when Herod heard about that, even on his deathbed, he had that son executed. And uh, Herod then later died five days, just five days later. Now, he knew that because of the nature of his reign and his relationship with the nation, no one, absolutely no one was going to mourn his death. And so he actually left instructions in his will that scores of prominent Israelites were to be rounded up and executed on the day that he died. Because when he died, he wanted there to be weeping in all of Israel. Now, Josephus, a Jewish Roman historian, uh, said this about Herod. He said, Herod never stopped avenging and punishing every day those who chose to be of the party of his enemies. 
Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in the time of King Herod. That was an unfortunate time to be born. And he goes on to tell us this. He says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now you know why. When Herod is disturbed, everybody's disturbed. What is Herod going to do next is the question on everybody's mind. Herod wanted to make sure that this potential rival that the Magi announced was removed. But he is thwarted in his attempts to identify this baby, the baby Jesus, the specific baby, born in Bethlehem, born king of the Jews. And so we read that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And this became known, of course, as the slaughter of the innocents. Interesting phrase when you think about the life and the death of Jesus. This is not part of the sentimental Christmas cottage industry that cranks up at this time of year. Uh, the point is this. When Jesus was born, all was not calm. All was not bright. At least not for very long. That little baby did not sleep in heavenly peace, not for very long, because there was a price on his head put there by Herod. An angel comes to Joseph, whose life had already been disturbed by this whole uh, event of Mary becoming pregnant and having a baby. And God says to Joseph at this point in time, this is Matthew 2, he says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now you think about Joseph's Christmas. For one thing, he had already lost his prized possession. And that, of course, was his reputation as a righteous man, a tzaddik. Because he was marrying a woman, you understand, who was known to be pregnant. And a righteous man doesn't do that. And since that was what Joseph had chosen to do, it was obvious then to everybody that that must be Joseph's child. And that was the underlying assumption. Joseph had gotten Mary pregnant, and that's why he was deciding to go ahead and marry her. And now, fast forward, Joseph is being told to leave your home, leave your job, leave your people, leave your country with Mary and with this newborn baby. You're going to take your wife and you're going to travel as a refugee to a hostile country, the country of Egypt. I've got to think that maybe, just maybe, Joseph was thinking, wow, you know, I was told that this child would be Jesus, would be Yeshua, would be Savior, which means he's going to save his people. When is he going to start saving something or someone? Because so far, so far, he can't even save his own family. What kind of salvation is this? Friends, I don't know this, of course, but I think that maybe one of the things God might have been up to in Joseph's life was to teach him that when trouble, serious, life-threatening trouble comes your way and nothing at all is making sense and nothing is turning out the way that you thought it would, well, one thing, don't give up. Hold on. 
Don't underestimate God. God is working even when we don't see it or understand it. Keep trusting, keep obeying, keep waiting on the Lord. And if you do, you will see that God is up to something. He is working a plan and he's more than capable of taking care of you while he works this plan in your impossible or difficult or disappointing circumstances. Now, meanwhile, you know, Herod is, of course, merciless. Uh, Herod sends soldiers to Bethlehem. And those soldiers go into the homes of peasant families who were powerless to do anything about this. And when they find a little infant boy, they do the unthinkable. They take that little boy's life. And that is what has happened in Bethlehem in the real Christmas story. And I think you'll agree there's not a lot of sentimentalism there. We sing songs with words like, oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Well, Bethlehem was not still when Herod sent the soldiers there. Matthew could have omitted all of this from the story, but he doesn't. And I think maybe that was because Matthew wanted us to see that this baby Jesus, this son of God, this newborn king was going to rule differently than other kings. He was going to overcome darkness with light. He was going to overcome evil and hatred with sacrificial love and unrelenting goodness. That's who this new king was. Now, Jesus, of course, did that in a way that nobody anticipated. He did that by laying down his life for others. He did that by self-sacrifice. The prophet Isaiah predicted this many centuries earlier when he wrote, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that is true for you. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ. That is true for you if you follow him. That is true for you if you are his disciple, if you are walking with him and obeying him and holding on to him. Regardless of any agony or suffering or loss or brokenness that you may be experiencing at this time, Jesus knows all about those things. He's been there. He's done that. He came to redeem those things and to give those things purpose and meaning. You see, Jesus came to Bethlehem in the time of King Herod. Now, another part of Jesus' story that doesn't get a lot of mention, uh, he's taken to the temple on his eighth day and there's, a, there's an old man there by the name of Simeon. Some of you remember this story. And Simeon takes the baby Jesus and he holds him in the air and he says a blessing over him. And it's a real poignant moment. Simeon says this, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph were glowing at that particular moment. Uh, and we are told that they marveled at what Simeon had, was saying to them. Uh, but Simeon isn't done. Uh, he has one more thing he wants to say, and this time he says it directly to Mary. He says to her, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. (laughs) Wow. What does that mean? What is Mary supposed to do with that? That's like getting a congratulations card for the birth of a, a baby that reads, your, your baby is happy and healthy and smart. He will rip out your guts and he'll shatter your heart. Wow. That, that's in essence what Simeon is saying. A sword will pierce your soul, Mary. And it did. Every time it's Jesus' birthday, do you think Mary ever remembered all the birthdays of all those little boys slain in Bethlehem? Do you think she remembered the parents and the grief? Do you think some of those parents thought, you know, the only reason my boy is dead is that Herod was trying to get rid of your boy. If your boy Jesus would have died, all the others would have been saved. I bet Mary thought about that. Jesus began his life as he would end it with somebody in power wanting him dead. And it's a harsh story, the Christmas story. It's not a sentimental one. Point is, God is at work in real deep ways, ways nobody understood at the time. And he was doing that then in Bethlehem and in Israel and in Egypt. And he's still doing that now. He's doing that in your life. He's doing that in mine. He's doing that in the life of our church. Right in the middle of all the darkness, all the sin, all the evil, all the brokenness that is in us and in the world out there, Jesus is working. And Jesus is overcoming it. You see, by his wounds, we are healed. This is part of Matthew's wonderful, dark, deep story. Part of what he wants us to know is that no trial, no expression of evil goes on forever. In fact, Jesus was the beginning of the end of evil. Matthew has a a clever way of introducing this idea here in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew 2.19, the next season of Jesus' life is introduced with this phrase, after Herod died. The chapter started out during the time of King Herod, but then it goes to after Herod died. Matthew mentions the fact that Herod is dead three times in chapter 2 alone. So Matthew wants us to be real clear on the matter that Herod is dead. And it's ironic, Herod could have been the one known throughout human history to to have welcomed Jesus as the coming king, to proclaim Jesus to the world. But of course, he didn't do that. He chose another path. He wanted to be king of the Jews. Remember, we noted that Herod was religiously Jewish. He was the builder of the great temple. He was the defender of Jerusalem, but he actually had no room for Jesus to be king of the Jews. The Magi, on the other hand, these pagan um, kings, some think, these astrologers from the east, they end up kneeling before Jesus and giving him their worship, their hearts. Now, we would have never predicted that. We would not have seen that coming. Herod, the builder of the temple, the defender of Jerusalem, wants Jesus dead and out of the way. But pagan astrologers become worshipers of the Jewish Messiah. 
Matthew wants us to know that that Herod the Great, with all of his wealth and all of his glory and, and with this giant throne and this enormous power, Herod the Great is now Herod the dead. Matthew wants us to know it. Friends, it's important that we get Matthew's meaning here. Very important. Namely that how you respond to this Jesus is the most important thing that will ever happen in your world. The Magi bow and worship. Herod does not. Herod says, I want to be king. I want my life to be about me and my greatness, my happiness, my pleasure, my glory. And part of what Matthew is doing in this story is he's asking us, which road are you going to go down? Because there is a road that will put you on your knees as a worshiper before Jesus. And there is another road that will put you on your throne and then in your grave. Herod died. And he died without Jesus. Now, who else is going to die? It's not a trick question. The answer is, we all will. All of us are going to die. And Matthew is sending us a message. Uh, you know, what, what are we to understand in light of the coming of this king? And what does our dying mean and what should our response be to him? The message that Matthew is sending us, he said, you know, what time was Jesus born? Herod's time. But remember, Herod is going to die. There's so much fabulous stuff going on in this chapter. The chapter starts with King Herod. Matthew deliberately calls him king three times here in this chapter. And then the Magi go and they give their gifts to Jesus and they give their worship to Jesus. And that's sort of like a little coronation for this new King Jesus who's been born. And so now you see, we know who the real king of the Jews is. And from that point on, Matthew does not call Herod king anymore. There's a new king in town and Herod is going to die and you are going to die and so am I. And to our surprise, Jesus is going to die too. And so he knows what it's like to live in an evil age. He knows what it's like to be vulnerable, to be hurt, to be uh, hated. He even knows what it's like to die. And while he may not save you from your circumstances, meaning you might die uh, in the midst of difficult circumstances, he will save you in your circumstances from even death itself, spiritual death. Because you see, Jesus didn't stay dead. You know, we've seen this over and over uh, that our circumstances of difficulty or grief or pain or sickness or hurt or loneliness, this this stuff is the soil in which God works. This is where God changes us. It's in the midst of these kinds of things that we receive new life, new life that comes to us because of King Jesus. And this life is eternal and it, it continues to grow as we continue to follow him in faith. And this new life that we have is actually preparing us for life in eternity. And if we, like the Magi, bow and worship Jesus, all of these things are ours. So I, I want to invite all of us at this season, everyone living in the land of COVID, everyone living in the days of Herod, so to speak, 
You know, if you're hurting, if you're in a place of difficulty, if you're confused, if you feel like this is never going to end or that you'll never recover, I want you to know that God is inviting you on a spiritual journey of transformation, a journey of growth, a journey of discipleship, a journey of faith and trust and hope, certain hope. You see, Jesus is the Messiah for whom life did not turn out the way anybody would have predicted. Think about that. Nobody saw the trajectory of Jesus' life uh, or expected it to unfold the way it did. Jesus grew up to be a man and his own people wanted on one occasion to make Jesus a king. They wanted him to sit on Herod's throne and Jesus rejected that kingdom. And so his own people turned around and rejected him. The body that was laid in a manger as a babe eventually gets nailed to a cross as a man. And there on the cross, we're told the thoughts of many are revealed. And that is true. And Jesus is a sign that is spoken against at the cross. People rejected him. People hated him because he would not fulfill their agenda. The crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate is washing his hands. Peter is denying Jesus. His own disciples are running away. Roman soldiers are casting lots for his robe. And there at the cross stands a woman, Jesus' mother, Mary. And she can do nothing to stop this. She can only suffer. She can only remember the day that an angel said to her, blessed are you among women. But she didn't feel very blessed right then. And she watches as her son breathes his last. And they take his body down and it's broken and it's pierced in the side. And she remembers the words of Simeon, I'm sure. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And now it is. It's the shadow of the cross that hangs over Christmas. Christmas was the ramp up part of the, the, the plan of God to lead directly to the cross. And the shadow of the cross hangs over Christmas, but only briefly. It's in the darkness and evil of the cross that Jesus overcomes and conquers. It's just the backdrop to Jesus' resurrection or Jesus' light, light coming into a dark world. Our hope and redemption is not in having a merry little Christmas. It's in the good news of the gospel of God. The child born in a manger, died on a cross, was laid in a tomb, rose from the grave, and today he is seated at the right hand of Almighty God. And that child alone, can heal us. That child alone can forgive us. That child alone can see us through any and all difficulties we face. That child can change our darkness into light. And not just today, but for all eternity. You see, that's the real story of Christmas. It's not a sentimental story but it is a sensational one. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the true story of Christmas. The life of Jesus coming from heaven to earth and dwelling in the midst of it all, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the grief, all the heartache, all the evil. 
And he came to overcome those things, overcome the sin in us and pay the price that we deserve to pay. By his, by his stripes, we are healed. And for these things, we give thanks. Father, would you make our celebration of your Christmas, the sending of your son, the incarnation, would you make it truly one that delights you? where we give our hearts and our minds and our thoughts in worship to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.